But Y is supported by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings may vary. This is But Why, a podcast for curious kids from Vermont Public. I'm Jane Lindholm. Hello, little pollinator. Hello, little honeybee. Do you like the taste of flowers? It's early in the morning. Goodbye, little pollinator. Goodbye, little honeybee. You didn't catch your name. Faster than you came. Quicker we you flew. You got a dozen two dolls. We're going to talk all about pollinators, and yes, we will get to stingers. Those are the sounds of thousands and thousands of bees right outside my house. I am a beekeeper. Have you ever seen a beekeeper? We look pretty silly when we're wearing our bee suits to protect our faces and bodies from getting stung. Big white suits with a screen over our heads. Beekeepers help keep a colony of honeybees healthy and safe, and we sort of farm them for their honey. Here in Vermont, right now, the fields are full of bright yellow goldenrod, one of the honeybees' favorite foods. And I'll be harvesting the honey from my beehives in the next few weeks. So we thought this was a good time to answer some of the questions you've been sending us about bees. To help me out, I paid a visit to a beekeeper who has a lot more experience and a lot more bees than I do. Hi, I'm John Hayden, and I'm an organic fruit farmer at the Farm Between in Jeffersonville, Vermont. I am putting on my bee suit so that if the bees get angry and I'm dressed in white so they don't, won't see me as well, I won't think I'm a bear, and they won't uh, sting me through my clothes. So that I just zipped up, taking my hat off, putting on my hood, my veil here. And we're getting our smoker ready. So we just lit this and now puffing some air through it to get the smoke going. What does the smoke do? The smoke makes the bees think that there's a forest fire. And if you're a bee hive in a forest and the forest fire is coming, you need to move. So what they start doing is eating honey. They're filling up on honey in case they have to move. And when they eat honey, they get more docile. So it keeps them calm. Yeah, docile means calm. Less likely to sting you. (laughs) We like docile bees. Well, we have a lot of bee questions. Our young listeners are big bee fans and very curious about bees. I'm excited to talk with you. Yeah, this is going to be great. Where do you keep your bees, John? We keep them in our yard right here, pretty close to all our uh, fruit and berry bushes, fruit trees and berry bushes. And I also have some at at another location that we put up at another vegetable farmers who wanted the bees for pollination. So, um, but you can see, I'm, I'm counting my hives. I don't even know how many I have right now. One, two, three, four, 
five, six, seven, eight, nine here right now. What? How many bees do you think you have? <laughs> I have approximately 450,000 bees. <laughs> you know, you mentioned that your bees are pretty near your fruit trees and fruits and berries and flowers. And of course, that's what bees love. So maybe this would be a good time to answer our questions about pollination. My name is Kyler. I'm six years old, Meridian, Idaho. And my question is, how does pollinating happen? My name is Anita. I am six years old. I live in Calais, Vermont. My question is, why do bees pollinate? Pollination is kind of a deal that flowers have made with bees. So bees, they're vegetarians, right? So they eat pollen and they feed pollen to their babies, their young, the brood. And they uh, drink nectar for energy and then they use the nectar just to uh, make honey too. So the flowers are producing both pollen and nectar for the bees to entice the bees, to lure the bees in to come and spread pollen around. So for a flower to reproduce, they, you know, the plant wants to make babies and make seeds and those are the babies. For that to happen, the, the plants have to pollinate. So um, the bees are the ones who spread the pollen, into the, the, which are the boy part of the flower, into the female part of the flower. So, uh, and it's all the deal. The bees get the food and the flowers get, the, get to reproduce. And the bees aren't doing this thinking they're doing a good thing for the flowers. The bees are just trying to get their food, but as they go from one flower to the next, they're leaving some of that previous flower at the next flower. So, you know, it's kind of a tricky deal. Neither one really knows what they're doing. Right. Well, I don't know. It seems like the plants are a little bit smarter and enticing <laughs> the bees into they know what they're getting out of it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's uh, but it's true. They, I don't know what bees think. I don't think anybody really knows what bees think. <laughs> And sometimes people even think of a beehive as one whole organism, one animal, and that the bees are just little cells that are all working together, kind of like the cells in our body work together. Why so, do they think that? Because bees communicate in this really interesting way. They communicate in interesting ways, like the way our cells can communicate to each other. There's this thing called like a hive mind, when they all decide to swarm and leave the hive, or when, when they're hanging out in a tree looking for a new home, they all decide to go to one place. So we don't know how they really make these decisions. And we make guesses, and we try to figure it out through science, but uh, we haven't figured it out yet. All right, here's a question from Lily. I'm four years old, and I live in Plymouth, Michigan, and my question is, do bees come out in spring? Do bees come out in spring? So native bees are really interesting. Bumblebees are out. They come, some come out really early in the spring, and those are the ones that are doing most of the work on our early flowering trees, like uh, we have cherries and plums. We have a few apricots and things like that that flower really early. Honeybees are still resting in there, still on winter vacation. When these bees are out, when it's like 45, 50 degrees and a little cloudy or drizzly, they're out visiting those flowers. Honeybees come out whenever the weather is warm enough for them to come out. So they like it above like 55 degrees and, uh, you know, sunny and not too windy and not rainy, and then they'll come out. So even in the winter time, sometimes you'll see bees coming out. And they, it's good for them to come out. They come out, they go to the bathroom, and uh, just, you know, fly, get some fresh air, I think. But mostly in the spring is when they are starting to do all, build up their colony numbers. So it's when the queen really starts laying eggs, and, um, they, and they really start getting to work collecting pollen and, and nectar. And usually pollen in the spring is really important because that's what they feed to their babies, and they want to build up their numbers really fast. So they're, they're collecting a lot of pollen in the spring. And what do they do in the wintertime? 
So in the wintertime, they have to keep their hive at a constant temperature. I think it's around 90 degrees. So they cluster together and they buzz and they vibrate and they dance and they, <laughs> and they breathe on each other. <laughs> so they, they, they make a cluster, it's called, and uh, it's like a ball of buzzingness. And it keeps, by creating all that energy and moving around, they keep, keep themselves warm. But to do that, they need to have honey. And honey's the energy that keeps them warm in the, in the winter. It's the food they need to keep going. It's really interesting because the bees will be on the outside of that ball and they get a little cool, then they move to the inside and the bees that are on the inside that were warm will move to the outside. They've got it figured out. And that goes for um, native wild bees as well as domesticated, well, semi-domesticated honeybees? Well, that's the really interesting thing is honeybees are the only bees that really store honey and keep a colony going over the winter. We have other, we call them social insects that all work together where you have a queen and workers and drones, you know, different castes like that, uh, like the bumblebee. So the, but the bumblebee colony only lives one year. And that queen bumblebee, she comes out in the spring and she gathers pollen and nectar and then she has to start from scratch. She has to find a place to make a colony and then she has to make the wax and she has to lay the eggs and then she, she keeps those eggs warm by vibrating over them. So she, she incubates them like a mother hen would. And then uh, after about a month or so, then those eggs hatch and become workers. And then that queen bumblebee can stay in the hive and the workers go out. And then at the end of the summer, that queen lays eggs that are going to be males and females, and they go out and mate, and then the males all die, and then the, those new queens are the ones that are going to start colonies the next year. So they don't keep honey stores. Honeybees are the ones that are the only ones that really do that, keep a colony going year after year after year. So our next question is from Bellamy, who lives in Sharon, Vermont. And I'm four years old, and I wonder how bees make a beehive. I wonder, how do bees make a beehive? So maybe we can open up and you can show me. Yeah. I mean, the honeybees, well, they, they're what we call cavity nesters. So they like to live in holes or places where they can get out of the weather. So they're not going to get rained on. It's not going to be too windy and cold. So um, what they'll have to do is find a, a, an appropriate place where they can stay warm and dry. And then they start making these unbelievable wax combs that they make out of hexagonals, those six-sided figures that you've seen pictures of. Uh, honeycomb and that is like the, they're the best engineers going because they, they build these uh, combs that hang down and they're very strong and the bees have just the right amount of space between them to go between and then they can pack them with honey and pollen and babies and pupae and all kinds of stuff that makes the hive happen. <laughs> they make their own building materials you know they're, they're beating humans on that we have to like harvest wood or make bricks or something but they just make it wax out of their own bodies from the honey and the nectar and pollen. It's pretty amazing. I mean, looking at what bees can do and these, as you said, perfectly shaped hexagons and they're not using tools, they just know how to do it. Right, yeah. All right, so you want to open up yes, the hive? Yes, let's open the So we'll puff, puff a little, just a little puff of smoke in the front there. That's where the guard bees like to hang out, so we want to let them know, okay, hey, maybe there's a forest fire, go eat honey. <laughs> and we're not bears. We're not bears, we're wearing white, we're good guys. You really think the bees know that if you're in white, you're not a bear? I you think, think they, they can differentiate? I, I think they are keyed into color. So some of their natural enemies are things like bears and skunks. So things that are dark colored that they're going to be more aggressive towards. <laughs> so I think when we're wearing white, it just gives them a signal that maybe they can't see us as well, but we're also we're not a bear or a skunk. So I'm just taking the, the cover off the top. And looking in. I'm going to put my microphone right next to the hive so you can all hear okay. these bees. We don't use a lot of smoke, but if we put a little smoke in here, we can push them down into there a little bit. 
pull up one of these frames here and see if what they've been doing. See, these are new frames we just put in not too long ago, maybe a couple weeks ago. So a frame? A frame is a rectangle of wood that has a little piece of uh, plastic in the middle with the outline of the honeycomb. And then the bees build that out. They put wax on it and build it out. So what I'm looking at here is to see how well they've done building it out. And they're doing pretty good. And you can see they're already putting nectar in there. These are all girls here, except for there's a, there's a drone right there. That's the boy bee. All the worker bees are females. Yeah, they're all females. And just one queen per hive. Just one queen per hive, yep. They can, they can make new queens if the queen's getting old and not doing a great job laying eggs. Then the hive mind, the bees all figure out together that they are going to make a new queen and they start making a queen cell and feeding royal jelly to the, to the little larva that hatches in there. And that gives it like superpowers to become a queen. <laughs> My name is Sonica and I'm six years old. I live in San Diego. And my question is, how do bees make honey and why? My name is Owen. I live in Pennsylvania. My age is five. My question is, how do bees collect nectar? So the bees are collecting pollen and they're collecting nectar, but neither of those things are honey. So how do the bees take the nectar and make honey? Okay, so the nectar is in the flower, right? So they're going up and they are, they have a, um, a mouth part that's kind of like a straw, I guess you could call it. They lap up the nectar, and then they got a crop inside their mouth. It's like a little sack that'll carry fluid, liquid-like nectar. And then they bring that back to the hive, and they kind of pass it around. They put it in the, the cells, those little honeycombs, and um, they dry it down. So they have to dry it down. So honey is really concentrated nectar. It takes so many trips from a bee going back and forth collecting nectar just to get a teaspoon of honey. It's amazing. So nectar is basically just watered down honey and what they're doing is concentrating, getting that liquid, getting the water out of the nectar to turn it into honey and that's what honey is that we eat. Yeah, it's the, it's the sweet liquid that the flower is offering as a reward for the bee to vi for visiting and then uh, the bees turn that. Some people say it's like bee puke. <laughs> they're, they're vomiting back up, and, but we're trying to market honey here, so we don't use that term. <laughs> and with the pollen, you can see sometimes bees are carrying pollen on the backs of their legs. They don't turn that into honey. No, they use that. Uh, that's So pollen is like protein. It's the building blocks of the animal body, so they use that to feed their young mostly. All right, but a lot of kids and adults are a little bit afraid of bees, and that's mostly... I think only because they worry about getting stung, and getting stung hurts. It doesn't feel good. So we have a bunch of questions about stinging that maybe you can help us answer. Hi, my name is Mirabelle. I live in Long Rock, Colorado. I'm four. Why do bees have stingers? Hi, my name is Greer. I am 10 years old, and I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My question is, why do bees die when they sting you? My name is Blake. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I'm six years old. And my question is, why do bee stings hurt? Bee sting, I mean, the whole idea of a bee sting is a really cool thing. It's a way for the bees to protect their honey and their hive and their brood. You know, because those animals are coming in, the skunks, they want to eat bees. They'll come scratch on the door at night and the bees will come out to see what's happening and the honey, the skunks will scoop them up by the handful and eat them up. Or a bear will come in and uh, the bear likes to eat the baby bees, the little fat chunky larvae, 
and also I'm sure with a little honey dip on the side is pretty good. But uh, so the bees, they, they've got all this honey and in nature, everything is food for something else. So bees have figured out this way to protect themselves. And because they all are in a colony and we have like, you know, 30 to 50,000 bees in a colony, they, um, they can sting. Um, and the sting is, a, it's really their egg laying device that's called an ovipositor that's adapted to being a nasty little stinger. And it's got all this stuff going on for it. It's got barbs, you know, like uh, little hooks on it so that when it goes in you, it stays in you. And that's one of the reasons the bees die is because they fly away and they pull out, it pulls out of their abdomen, their bottom part, and it leaves a little sack of, that has venom in it. So it's got this poison and it's got a muscle around it that keeps pumping. So if you think like a little bulb with <laughs> on, a, on a barbed point and it's pumping poison into you, it's a really amazing adaptation. So they, they sting mainly to protect their honey and their colony. But even now, you can see I'm here, I don't have any gloves on. on I got my hands right in with the bees and stuff, so they're not, they're not so aggressive. And then when they're out foraging for, for nectar and pollen and flowers, they're so busy doing that that they're not going to go after you. If you come close to their hive, that's when you're going to maybe get into some trouble. But usually, unless you step on them with your bare foot or you brush against the flower, they're on there. They're not going to sting you. So you can go up, you can get right up close and watch them and don't be afraid. Sometimes on rainy, cold days, they're in a bad mood too. <laughs> kind of like us. They can get grumpy. Today, the, get today's grumpy. a nice, sunny, warm day, and we've got them open, and they don't even care. Some people believe that being stung is good for you. There's a thing called apitherapy, where the bee, the, the bee venom is considered to be medicinal. So for people like me who get old, stiff fingers and stuff, it might be good to have uh, get stung by bees once in a while. So I don't, I really, I don't mind it too much. My name is Lily. I live in Georgia. And my question is, do wasps and things that sting have to try to sting? Or is it just that they can touch their stinger to something and it just happens automatically? Do they just sting you because their stinger brushes against you? Or do they have to think, I'm going to sting that guy. I'm going to sting that kid. I want to hurt him. I don't think they're just trying to sting to hurt you. They're stinging because they're afraid of you. <laughs> they think you're trying to cause them some harm. So it's just... It's basically a misunderstanding. Unless, of course, you're trying to swat the wasp or something, then it's justified. Then, yeah, then, they, then they're doing it for a good <laughs> reason. For a reason. But uh, wasps don't have barbed stingers like uh, honeybees have. So they can, they can sting you, and they can sting you multiple times, and they can decide how much venom to put into a sting. And, but it's, just, it's not just, they have a lot more control than just you rub up against them and stuff. Uh, the interesting thing about wasps versus bees is bees are great pollinators mostly because they're searching for pollen for food and they're so fuzzy that they carry the pollen around by accident or <laughs> on purpose to, so they can bring it back to the hive. Um, but wasps don't have as much hair. So a lot of times people get stung by wasps and say they got stung by a bee, especially like yellow jackets. They look like bees, they're black and yellow and, but, and they, they sting. And wasps are meat eaters, so they feed their babies caterpillars and other things that they catch uh, around. So they can be really good for us farmers because they're helping us with our pest management because caterpillars like to eat my apples and stuff. So we like the wasps around too. So we welcome them. But we stay, we give, we stay away from them because they're a little meaner than bees. <laughs> that kind of answers a question we got just as we were putting this episode together. My name is James and I live in Marion, Iowa and I want to ask a question. What's the difference between a wasp and a bee and a mosquito? 
wasps and bees and mosquitoes. Oh my! Well, James, John just told us that one difference between wasps and bees is that wasps are meat eaters. Some wasps you might have heard of are hornets and yellow jackets. Wasps have smooth bodies, while bees are fuzzy. And wasps can sting more than once, while honeybees, at least, can only sting once because they have a hook at the end of their stinger, so the end of their body stays stuck in whatever they stung. Bumblebees can sting more than once, but they're not usually very aggressive. Now, bees build nests out of wax. Wasps chew up pulp, leaves and stuff, to make a papery nest out of their own saliva. Bees and wasps are both members of the family of insects known as Hymenoptera. Now, mosquitoes are also insects, but they're pretty different. I'm guessing you're thinking of them together because mosquitoes can cause you some itchiness or pain, too. Well, while bees eat pollen and nectar, and wasps eat caterpillars and spiders and things like that, mosquitoes eat us. We are their food source because they suck our blood to get their energy. Coming up, we'll learn how beekeepers get the honey from the hives. But first, a message for the adults who are listening. We have support from Paramount Pictures' new movie, If, in theaters May 17th. This movie introduces audiences of all ages to be a curious young girl with the ability to see everyone's imaginary friends, a.k.a. ifs. Get it? Imaginary friends? B joins forces with Cal, an adult who can also see ifs, and together they embark on a magical adventure seeking to reconnect forgotten ifs with their long-ago kids. Ryan Reynolds brings comedic energy to the film alongside precocious new star Kaylee Fleming. If you have or have ever had an imaginary friend, let if answer what if everything you believed as a kid was real. If is in theaters May 17th. This is But Why, a podcast for curious kids. I'm Jane Lindholm. Today we're at the Farm Between in Jeffersonville, Vermont, talking to John Hayden. And here's a question from Charlotte. Hi, my name is Charlotte. I'm five years old. I live in Highland Springs, North Carolina. And I want to know how do people get honey out of beehives without getting stung? She says, how do people get honey out of beehives without getting stung? Part of it is wearing these bee suits, right? Yeah, these help. And sometimes you do get stung getting the honey out. So the way I do it is I pick up a, one of those frames that's full and is capped. We know it's finished honey. It's all dried to, to, the, um, to the right the consistency that, it, that is going to be good honey and be able to store for a long, long time. Once the, the whole frame is capped, I take it and I have to brush those bees off. So I brush them off. I have a fancy little bee brush that's very soft and gentle and I knock them back into the hive and do that. So but once in a while they don't like that. Or mostly I usually get stung when I'm not paying attention, where I put my fingers in my hands and I squish a bee by accident. So I try to be very, I try to move slowly and be very, it's like kind of meditative around the bees. Because they can tell if you're nervous and anxious too, like I'm not nervous now, so they're not bothering me. But if I was out here like this, and uh, they, uh, they might be a little more antsy. 
They're like horses like that, you know? Horses are like that, too. They calm around them, they calm around you. Well, and you can tell, as you said, they sound different. When they're mad, when they start to get mad, they buzz in a different way. It sounds different than when they're happily just buzzing around their hive. You can tell when a bee is mad at you. Yeah, and sometimes if you're working on a hive for a few minutes and you've been in it and you're torn it all apart looking for honey and whatever, you can tell when they're starting to get fed up and then, then you move faster. <laughs> You mentioned uh, apitherapy, so bee sting therapy, but we got another question. Hi, my name is Sylvie. I live in Brooklyn, New York, and I'm eight years old. And my question is, is it true that honey makes cuts heal and makes you feel better when you're sick? Is it true that honey makes cuts heal and makes you feel better when you're sick? Honey is awesome. Not only does it taste good, but I know when I have a sore throat in the winter, if I start getting a sore throat, we have elderberry, honey, ginger, syrup that we take or sometimes I'll just put honey in uh, hot water with a little lemon and it makes me feel better immediately. So I don't know if the, there's good clinical doctors having studied that but uh, it makes me feel better and it makes a lot of people in the world feel better. So people usually go to honey as something for a sore throat for sure. Um, the other thing about honey that's really cool is uh, in the olden days they used to use it for, to, for cuts and wounds, like in, during World War I when a lot of people were getting hurt and they didn't have antibiotics to keep the germs away, you could put honey on it because germs can't live in honey. It's a very magical material, so it, has, it kills germs. <laughs> so yeah, if you get honey, if you get, get a cut, you can put some honey on it. Just don't go around the bees, they might come after you. <laughs> <laughs> or the bears. To, yeah, to or get, the skunks. To get their honey back. <laughs> what do you like about being a beekeeper? You know, one of the things, so the kids are asking a lot about stinging. I like having to overcome that fear of being stung. I mean, when I first started, I was afraid to get stung. And now I'm sticking my hands in there. And, and, and it's like, uh, it's, it's just like a challenge to work calmly when you know any second you could get hurt and you wouldn't know when it was going to happen. So that's really kind of fun. And then uh, I just, I love the honey. We make an elderberry ginger honey syrup that we sell. So we, you know, so the honey is an important part of our farm business. And um, I'm a biologist, so the biology is fascinating to me. And I'm an entomologist by training, so I've, that means I studied insects. And so I just, I've always been interested in insects my whole life. So to have an insect that you can play around with and it, and it gives you stuff that you can make a living off of is uh, really, really fun for me. We left the beehives yeah, and took off our bee suits because we were really sweaty. And we walked over to John's raspberry patch. So here we're in my raspberry hoop house, which is a big plastic greenhouse. Hang on, let me get this. <laughs> <laughs> Too sweaty. All right, so here we are in your raspberry hoop okay, house. So this is a raspberry hoop house. So we grow raspberries under these big plastic hoops, mainly to keep the rain off them. But also uh, in the springtime, if we if it gets really cold and we're going to get a frost, we can lower the sides and keep the, keep it warmer in here. And then the same thing in the fall, so we can extend our season. We can have raspberries longer that way. And uh, you can see they really like it here. They're about seven or eight feet tall. <laughs> and they're loaded, beautiful. Loaded with uh, berries, and they're flowering. And you can hear maybe you can hear the bees buzzing, and you can see all the different species that are helping us out. So these are our partners. All these different bees. The honeybees are our partners. So we take care of them. The bumblebees are our partners, so we take care of them. And uh, we, we give them lots of food. We plant special flowers and bushes and trees that they're going to like. And we, we provide nesting habitat for these bees, too. We make lots of nooks and crannies and piles of wood and bales of hay and things for them to nest in. Because, uh, 
without them, we wouldn't, you know, no bees, no fruit, no fruit, no fruit farmers, no pie. <laughs> so uh, we really need these bees. But if we have honeybees and we've learned how to kind of farm them, sort of, they're still wild, but we help them along and they can pollinate our, our fruits and flowers. And you said sometimes these other bees are better at it in, in bad weather, but why do we need 275 species? Do we, I mean, bees sting us. Shouldn't we just kill all the rest of them off? <laughs> this all like, why, why do we need them? You should ask the bee, the individual bee. They could, they probably say, why do we need people? If they're, you know, the honeybees think they need us, but uh, the other bees. So we, we need, we need ecological diversity of bees. We need lots of different things because everything's connected to everything else. So if we lose the bees that pollinate our wildflowers, then our wildflowers die, and then uh, you know our whole natural system's going to be weaker because of that. So we, we need all those bees, and we should protect them. And they're in trouble too. I mean, you, you've probably heard that honeybees are having difficulties these days because of things like pesticides and um, mites and diseases and loss of flowering habitat and climate change even. So, but honeybees have beekeepers. They got people like you and me who take care of them, but nobody's taking care of those native bees. So should we, we should be really worried about them. So when we say save the bees, we should be thinking about saving those native bees. That was beekeeper John Hayden. When we first talked with John five years ago, he was at the Farm Between in Jeffersonville, Vermont. He now owns Northwind Gardens in Maine. Let's take a minute for some musical celebration of pollinators and especially honeybees. Get up and dance if you can. Hello, little pollinator. Hello, little honeybee. Do you like the taste of flowers? It's early in the morning. Goodbye, little pollinator. Goodbye, little honeybee. I didn't catch your name. Faster than you came. Quicker we flew. You got a job to do, don't you? And I know you do it well. They tell you what can tell. Just by looking round, the colors are profoundly beautiful.
Vermont musician Mr. Chris singing his song, Honeybee. Well, that's it for today. If you have a question about anything, have an adult record an audio file and send it to questions at butwhykids.org. It's easy to do on a smartphone. But by the way, if speaking is difficult for you or you feel really shy, you can email your question instead. That's fine. We'll do our best to get an answer for all of you. But Why is produced by Melody Beaudet and me, Jane Lindholm, at Vermont Public and distributed by PRX. Our theme music is by Luke Reynolds. We'll be back in two weeks with an all-new episode. Until then, stay curious.